God has a mission. And God, here's what God's mission is. God's mission is to bring beauty up out of the ashes. It's to, it's to sew up our broken hearts. It's to proclaim liberty to those who are captive. And it is to bring, it is to bring calm out of the midst of the storm out of this angry storm named Irma who's torn through here. And, and we have storms in our lives that are tearing through our lives. And God's mission is to bring calm out of the storm. And ultimately, this all climaxes where God brings life out of death. He births it out of death. But as God is doing this, all of those things doesn't it seem like sometimes God's timing is different than ours? That's because it is different. We want beauty to come up out of the ashes now, but God wants to wait. We want our broken hearts to be woven back together, to be sewed back together, but it feels like God's sewing kit is up in heaven, and we want calm out of the midst of the storm in our life, but it seems like God's up in heaven in the AC, and we're here sweating it out with no AC, and that's kind of how our life feels. And we want life to come, but it seems like death keeps winning. And it seems like God is allowing that. Why? And what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that it seems like God is waiting, that God is not acting? We're going to get in our text and try to make some sense out of this. We're in John 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16, but really what we're doing is we're looking at the entire chapter of John 11. We're going to take two more weeks to look at John 11, but right now we're going to go all the way through the chapter to see what it looks like. So I'm going to explain what happens after 16 verses. So here we go. Now a man, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not end, does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the light, in the night, he stumbles because the light is not on him, in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And then the chapter continues like this. So Jesus goes to Lazarus. He finally makes his way to Lazarus, and Lazarus has been dead for four days. And 
Mary and Martha, this is Lazarus' sister, come up to Jesus and they, and they both say at different times, if only you would have been here, Lazarus would have lived. And then Jesus finally makes his way to the tomb and when he gets there, he weeps. He like wails. He's crying loudly and then he stops, he prays, and he yells out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And if you were there with your kids, it would have, been, it would have given them nightmares because he comes out with his grave clothes on. That means he's like wrapped up like a mummy and he comes walking out of the tomb looking like a mummy. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, this is like almost like a horror movie when you're watching it. So here's, here's the first thing that you've got to see here. Mary and Martha, the first place they go, they find out their brother is about to die. The first place they go is they send for Jesus. But look at what Jesus does. He finds out that he who he loves, Lazarus, is about to die. And Jesus says, I'm going to wait. Says it in verse 5 and 6. And, and here, here's the reason why. Why does he wait? It says in verse 5 and 6, because he loved them, he waited what? That doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, if I got a phone call, they said, hey, David, Elise got in a car accident. She's at the hospital right now. You got to get over there. And I said, ah, I'm going to show her how much I love her. I'm going to wait four days till I go see her at the hospital. And then I get to the hospital and I walk in very proudly and say, Elise, do you see how much I love you? I waited four days to come and see you here. And she'd be like, you're dumb. And you're probably one of the worst husbands that there is. And see, but, but here's the thing. We feel that way a lot with God's timing. Some of you feel like right now God's not showing up. Like he's not hearing you. Like he's ignoring you. And you need him and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And it sucks that you're waiting for him for so long and you're suffering emotionally, you're suffering physically in pain, and, and it feels like God is the furthest from you right now. And you are wallowing in these ashes, the ashes of this world, and there's no beauty that's rising up out of it that you can see. And, and maybe your heart's been broken by someone, and you're waiting for God to come and stitch up your heart, but it's not happening. Or maybe you have sin in your life. You've got something in your life that you keep doing and you want to stop doing it, but you can't seem to stop doing it over and over and over again. And you want it to go away, but it's not. And you're asking God, God, heal me of this, but it keeps happening. It's like he's not answering your prayers. Or maybe you just want to find rest. Maybe you're exhausted. Or maybe you can't find contentment and satisfaction. And you just want to take this big sigh of rest and peace, but it's not happening. And you're going to Jesus like he says to do in his word for rest. And it's not happening. He's not giving you any rest at all. Why is God not coming through for you right now? Why does it feel like he's not coming through? Why is he waiting? Here's why. Because he loves you. And see, listen, it's not that he isn't coming. It's that he's not coming when you want him to. Why? Why is he waiting? He told his disciples why. He said, I'm glad I wasn't there when Lazarus was ill at first so that you might 
believe so that you might see my glory come and you might not be able to ignore it and you have nothing left to do but to say you really are who you're saying that you are. He's taking a situation that is absolutely impossible and he's bringing life up out of it so that you will finally say, I believe and you will bow to him. And you've got to know what Jesus knows. See, here's what Jesus knows about you, about me. He knows that you're stubborn. He knows that you're hard-hearted and that you have thick skulls, and he knows that the only way you're going to go to him is if he takes an impossible situation and he brings beauty up out of it. Until it seemed like there was nothing left but to reach for him, and that's what he's waiting for for you to finally reach for him. He's, take, he's doing this because we're stubborn. You know, like little kids, when they first learn how to walk, they can fit right underneath a table. They would just walk right underneath it. But then what's, something starts happening is they start growing. And as they're growing, they're, they start trying to walk under that same table, but they keep getting hit in the forehead. But it takes them a while to figure out that that table is going to keep on knocking them in the head. And we're kind of the same way. It takes a little bit of knocks on the head before we'll finally reach for Christ. Uh, recently, I had the privilege of meeting with a pastor who's in his 80s. And he's helped start multiple churches and he's helped start church planting movements. And he said something to me that I'm never going to forget. He said, typically what he's found is that people will come to faith, they'll become a Christian before they're 18, or after that, it usually takes something like them feeling like their life is falling apart till they will finally reach for Christ. They've got to feel like they're not in control anymore till they'll finally reach for him. Now, you could say, oh, you know what? That's just someone's personality type. They just need to feel like there's something more when life is falling apart around them. But Jesus says, no, that's not it. He's saying that we are too stubborn, so we're never going to reach for him until we've got nothing left to do but to reach for him. Do you know the best thing for you, the thing that you need most in life is to believe in him. There's nothing more important in your life than to believe in him. And so he's putting you in a situation where you'll finally reach for him so that once you do, you'll finally say, ah, I really believe this is really true. He's taking beauty up out of the ashes. And the reason he's doing this, the reason he's making things difficult for you so that you'll finally believe, with him, believe in him is so that you can be with him forever. He wants you. So he's making the situation for you seem impossible so that you'll finally go to him. And I could tell you story after story of people who would not go to Christ until finally they started suffering a bit and then they reached for him and then they believed more than they thought that they could ever believe. I mean, it solidified their faith. And Jesus doesn't just wait so that you will initially believe in him. But he waits so that you'll believe in him more and more and more. So my growth as a Christian has been slow because I'm a bit stubborn. 
But I will say this, the times when I was growing the most were the times when life was the hardest, when things were not going the way that I wanted them to be going. So when Elise and I first got married, um, I had started seminary. Um, I had a business that I had started in college, and I was working at a church, and I was super stretched. I wasn't taking care of myself, and I was driving back and forth to Orlando twice a week. I was sitting all day long in class, sitting all day long studying, sitting all day working, not taking care of myself, and my back started hurting bad. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse, and I kept ignoring it. Until one day, I woke up, and I couldn't get out of bed. It was deep, like a knife was in my back, hurting. And so finally I got up out of bed. I took a whole bunch of Advil. I got in the car, and sitting was the worst. I drove all the way up to Orlando, sat through class, drove back, and, made, and then got back and said, I got to go to the doctor. So first I went to a chiropractor, and the chiropractor said, don't have surgery or else it's going to ruin you. It's going to mess you up forever. I said, okay. And then I go to see an orthopedic guy, and he says, if you don't have surgery, you're going to be messed up forever. So I'm like, oh man, this pain is not going to stop. It's just going to stay here. I mean, I was like on the ground for three months. Anytime I stood up, excruciating pain. And so I remember a time Elise was driving. I had the seat all the way back. And every time, I hit, every time a bump hit, I mean, it hurt. And she hit a bump, and I just got so frustrated and so mad. And Elise was so mad at the situation. And we're, like, crying. And, and she, she's like, is it always going to be like this? I mean, it was hard. And he, I'm, I'm going to tell you what happened, though. In the midst of all of that, I've never been closer to God, and I've never experienced him more in my life. I've never leaned on him more than I was in that situation. I actually praised God more and was more thankful and was happier in the midst of all of that because I was experiencing God in the midst of it all. What happened is I basically had no pride left in me. Finally, I just reached for God. And I remember my grandmother telling me, one of her friends saying to her, uh, Grandma Gloria normally sits right up here. Her friend said to her, Gloria, if you're in pain, don't ask God to heal the pain. Ask for his will to be done, because in the pain, you're going to experience God more than you will normally. Your pain, whatever it might be, if you will let it, will cause you to experience God more, if you will let it, if you will go to him. It will be fuel for your belief. And even, listen, even in waiting for God to show up, even if you're not experiencing him, you're in the midst of pain and you're not experiencing God and you're frustrated, listen, that time, if you're going to him, that is gonna be fuel for later that when he does show up, when as soon as he shows up just a little bit, it'll be a spark that ignites this flame of joy in your soul. The waiting is building up the fuel in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of what's going on in your life. Now, Here's what happens. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to not allow that fuel to build up. And he, here's, here's how you let that fuel build up. Look at what Mary and Martha did. The first thing that they did when they were experiencing the pain of their brother about to die, the first thing they did is they sent for Jesus. 
I hope you're getting this. Now, here's what that means. For you, what is your first reaction to pain and suffering? Is it your first reaction to go to Jesus? Now, here's how you do that. Going into his word, into into the Bible, and in prayer. So what's your first reaction when things aren't, when life feels like it's falling apart? What's the first thing that you go and do? Many of us, what we do is we don't make going to the Bible and going into prayer our first reaction, but we make it the last. We're stubborn. We do all this other stuff, and then finally we're like, ah, I've got nothing left. I'm going to go to the Word. I'm going to go to prayer. And we try to fix the problem instead of bringing the problem to God first. And if you go to him first, it will start producing fuel in you that will ignite a flame of joy and happiness into your soul later. And listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to other things. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the doctor. So please don't hear me say don't go to the doctor. What I'm saying is go to Jesus first. Okay? Now, when I was having all these back problems, my first reaction was to do a whole bunch of research. And as I was doing all of that research, all it did was stress me out. There was no answers. And it wasn't until I went to God that I got peace. And finally, then I could research things with a clear mind, and I didn't get all worked up by the things that I was finding. Now, God didn't heal me, heal my back by some miracle. The miracle was me experiencing him in the midst of it. The beauty that he brought up out of the ashes. It wasn't that the ashes went away. It was that there was beauty that entered into it. And I started experiencing God in profound ways. And it took over a year to just get back to like 60%. But I'll tell you this, I would never trade it because of what I experienced from God in the midst of it all. Are you waiting for something, for God to come through for you in some way? In the midst of the waiting, get into prayer. Get in his word. And in the, the combination of those two things will start fueling something up in your soul so that when he does show up, there's a flame that's ignited or maybe just the suffering in and of itself and then going to the word right then produces that flame. but it will begin to pour fuel into your, into your soul. And then what's going to happen is you're going to start having faith that you didn't think was possible. And in the midst, listen to this, in the midst of the waiting, it's very easy to think that God does not care. In the midst of the waiting, it's very easy to think that God is completely far away from you. Or if you're seeing other people around you suffer, it's very easy to think that God doesn't care. And if you thought that, you would be dead wrong. Look at what happens with Jesus and Lazarus. Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows what he's going to do, but still, he gets to Lazarus, and what does he do? He weeps. And the Greek word here for him weeping It's implying this wailing, this loud cry out. I mean, he is very upset. Why is he so upset if he knows that he's about to heal Lazarus? Why is he so upset? Here's why. Listen, he's so upset because he has deep 
love for Lazarus and he knows what Lazarus is going through and it's, it's, it's tearing him up. And so he cries for Lazarus. He knows what he's going through. He doesn't want him to go through that. And the same is true for you. He's weeping. He's distressed. And he's distressed over our situation. He's distressed, uh, he's distressed about what you are doing to yourself right now. He's distressed about the things that you are doing in your life that are hurting you. And he's weeping for our situation that we're in. See, here, here's what the Bible teaches. Jesus was tempted in every single way that you could be tempted. He felt the temptations that you felt, and he, which means he had to have felt the suffering, and he had to feel what it feels like for someone that he loves to suffer. And here's the thing that you probably don't realize about Jesus. He loves you more than you love yourself. And if that is true, then that means he has got to be torn up when he sees you suffering. But he's also weeping because we've kicked him out of his life. And this is what messed up the whole thing anyways. This is why our world is the way that it is. This is why we're the way that we are. This is why we can't seem to get things right. Because we've kicked the one out who made, ev makes everything right. And here's what happened. When we kicked him out, we brought death into this world, and that's something to weep about. And many of you, you're not understanding that while you are suffering, you have a Savior who is weeping about it. He doesn't like to see you suffer. And his tears are greater than, his, than your tears because he loves you more than you love yourself. You've got to understand that you have a weeping Savior or else you're going to think he doesn't care. And listen to this. The very reason that you are suffering, that you are weeping, is the very thing that's driving you to him. If you never, listen guys, if you never suffered, you're never going to go to him because you don't think that you need him. You, you begin to think that you're the God of this world if you're never suffering and you never need a savior. But he's allowing it so that you'll finally go to him. And he takes those, God always uses what is bad to bring about something that is good. That's what he does. He's in the business of us making bad decisions and him taking our bad decisions and bringing good up out of them. That's his mission in this world. And he allows temporary weeping in order to stop your weeping that lasts for eternity. He stops it. It ceases. And he takes you into the ashes so that he might put some beauty into those ashes and raise that beauty up out of the ashes. He allows us to be captive so that he can free us, so we'll reach for him. He takes us into restlessness so that we'll reach for him to find rest. And he waits till we get to restlessness and then we finally reach for him. And he hates it. But he's doing it for your good so you will come to him. And he weeps about it, but he does it so that the ending of your story can be the ending of all endings, the most beautiful of all endings.
See, Jesus knew as he was weeping, he still knew that he would be eating and rejoicing with Lazarus after death had been defeated. He knew that. And so while weeping in the midst of your suffering is healthy, it is also healthy to hope and to remember how the story ends. And the story for the Christian does not end with suffering and death. It goes beyond it. In fact, suffering and death is just water that we jump through and rise up out of. Your suffering, your waiting for God is a way for God to say, don't get comfortable here. This is not your home. You have a much greater home. You have a paradise waiting for you, so long for it. And here's what you've got to also understand. Your suffering changes when you know the end of the story. Death loses its sting when you know the end of your story. Listen, let's say Hurricane Irma was going to hit us dead on, and it was going to be a Category 5, and you knew if it hit, it was going to knock your house over. And you would not want Hurricane Irma to come. But if you knew that by Hurricane Irma knocking your house down through a series of situations, you would meet the love of your life, you would then welcome Hurricane Irma. It would be horrible to see your house blown down, but at the same time, it would lead to something far greater, and that same thing is true for the Christian. The hurricane... The hurricane of death is coming to us all. Yet, at the same time, for the Christian, we can welcome it because what it leads us into. It leads us right to the love of our life, Jesus Christ. And he will give you the life and the world that you are made for. So, so for the Christian, while we hate death, at the same time, we welcome it because of what it leads us into. And here's the thing about Jesus. He welcomes death also. And here's why. He welcomes death because his death makes you alive and it makes you with him forever. Only his death is a little different. Where for us... Death is something we only pass through for him. In order for that to happen for us, he has to be crushed by it. He has to feel the weight of an eternal suffering so that ours can only be temporary here. He feels an eternal death in the matter of three days so that we can walk right through it. In fact, here's what's happening. He goes down into the ashes and brings about life when he rises from the grave in order to bring us his beauty up out of the ashes. He's held captive to death so that when he rises from it, we don't have to be held captive. He is hit by the mountain of death. And when he is hit by that mountain of death, that mountain breaks up into two, and it just is a simple, easy path where we simply just walk right through that mountain 
because he was crushed by it. And when he is hit by that mountain of death, he crushes it to pieces and he throws it in its rightful place in the pits of hell where we will never see its power again. And that is our weeping savior. That is our God who though we wait, he promises that he will bring good out of the waiting and make it all the more worth it. Go to him. Let's pray. Father, draw us into you now. With this hard text to understand, with this, it, when it feels so hard to just be waiting and waiting and waiting on you, God, show us that the waiting is good, the waiting is for a purpose, and the, the waiting will ultimately draw us to you, the love of our life, where you will give us the life and the world that we long for. God, teach us to rejoice in the midst of the waiting, knowing that you are up to something good. God, ultimately, we need to trust you. And it feels hard. Help us to do it. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.